Hello again, and welcome to the Asquith Hour with your host, Michael Friedman. I still don't have any music for you, but I've found these. <coughs> Following on from yesterday's brief introduction to the baffling form of currency in Cuba with its two or three different types of money, as well as, obviously, their propensity to grab hard currency wherever they can, both the government and private individuals, I thought it would be interesting to explain a little bit more about what day-to-day life looks like in Cuba vis-à-vis the economic and political situation. So the first thing to say is that A lot of the stereotypes that you have of communist countries are entirely true. For example, pretty much every single service or shop that you might want to go into involves a long queue, substantial bureaucracy, and usually a shortage. So basic items have to be rationed here, like eggs and even bread sometimes. And even a basic supermarket has sometimes no more than about 15 or 20 different items on the shelves, usually in absurd quantities because that's what's arrived. And everyone's queuing out of the door for often two or three hours to grab this week's pasta special or this week's tinned meatball special because that's what there is. So people just hoard it. And it's quite sad to see on the one hand. On the other, it's fair to say that I haven't seen anyone who seems to actually be starving here. So there's an argument which I suppose is your classic socialist or communist argument, that at the very least, everybody has a minimum amount and that keeps some kind of cohesion. The other thing I know people do tend to ask about is, what is your sense of freedom? So as a tourist, I've been completely unbothered. I've rarely seen police or armed officers of any kind. The only time I've been stopped and questioned was on arrival in the country and periodically there are checkpoints which are much more to do with COVID control than they are to do with security apparatus when driving between cities, and one or two cursory questions have been thrown my way, but that's it. And I found that the vast majority of Cubans, especially young Cubans, are quite happy to talk about politics and ideology, and almost nobody I've met has very much good to say about the overall picture of their government. Now, what is curious is that in COVID times things look slightly different. So we talked briefly yesterday about how Cuba had shut its borders fairly rapidly in March and taken advantage of its island position to try and protect its people, given that it doesn't have a huge amount of leeway for anything to go wrong. There isn't huge hospital capacity, and because of the embargo, they don't have the latest drugs, and they certainly don't have the latest equipment, as my little trip to the clinic for the kidney stones proved I was definitely hooked up to some fairly Soviet-era-looking machinery, albeit it worked well, and I have to say the quality of the actual staff care was absolutely first world in both the technical aspects and even, I would say, the bedside manner. So no brusque communist touch there. In fact, I felt very much more uncomfortable with the former Soviet nurses in Israel than I did here. All of which is, of course, not to whitewash the regime, and it is a regime, and it is unelected, and it has been in charge for 60-something years. And I think overall the people are fairly sick of being told what to do. And in fairness to the government, I think they're aware that they've played all the cards they can. And as discussed, the 
triple whammy of COVID and four years of Trump-era biting sanctions and a need to get rid of the convertible peso and move to a free float has forced their hand into this decision to try and liberalize the economy within reason. Now, they're still very careful not to talk about private enterprise. They use the word particular rather than privado to try and hedge their way around the ideological issue of private enterprise and private property, but we all know what they mean. Of course, the government is still holding on not just to key industries, but also to key services. So, for example, in the list of 2,000 professions which are now going to be open to the private sector, you'll find that the legal profession still remains something which you can only do officially as a state employee. Which is not to say that there aren't small legal practices, but technically they are owned by the state for reasons which I think go without saying. One of the more interesting discussions I had was in Havana with an academic who explained that the way in which criticism can be made of the government is through what you might call constructive criticism, especially through the academic route, which is to write position papers and academic articles explaining a new idea that might be interesting for Cuba to try and adopt, and that's seen as a more positive way of going about influencing policy here. And it does seem that people are listened to reasonably well if they have a bright way forward that doesn't openly conflict with the theoretical communist and revolutionary ideology. Now, that's not to say the state doesn't intervene when it feels that people as a group or individuals are pushing too hard for reforms that might move faster than they want to. There is definitely a police presence at any kind of demonstration if they're even allowed, and people are arrested, but it's not the kind of regime where people are disappearing. In fact, I think the way that I would quantify what I've heard from Cubans who have spent time here, having lived abroad, is that there's a sort of aggressive paternalism about the way in which people are treated here by, say, the Cuban police. That's to say that there's a, a pretty heavy-handed nanny state and they definitely know what's good for you, and you don't. But it's not to say that there is any serious sense of malice. And I think, therefore, it's quite interesting to see that most people here do not hate America, but they certainly don't want to become something like America. I think people would be much more inclined towards a Scandinavian model of a strongly socially democratic society, but one in which they can exercise more freedom to state their opinions and more freedom to choose who leads them. And I think most importantly, people here seem to be seeking accountability, which right now they don't feel they have from their leaders. And I would venture to say that that's actually more important to the average Cuban than a vote or a general freedom of speech. So interesting to me that perhaps we have some lessons that we can learn as Western democratic states, that whilst we have all of the freedom of speech and the right to vote that we desire, I think there is a degree to which we share a frustration towards our own states at the moment in terms of an opacity and a lack of accountability. So maybe we have more in common than we thought. On which note, I wish you good night, and I leave you with another cheesy sound effect. <laughs>